All right, if you got your Bibles, we are in the book of Hebrews as we continue on. We're actually kind of bringing this section, started back in chapter 7, to an end. Uh, in fact, where this is going, just so you know, Hebrews is written around five warning passages. Five passages of warning to believers. We've looked at three of them. Number four is coming. This is where that is going. And, uh, and, but this is kind of the continuation of leading right up to, the, to that warning passage. So we're going to read verses 19 through 25. As I read it out loud, if you'll follow along in your Bible, that would be great. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as he's wrapping up this, this section, he, he starts with laying the premise that he's been laying literally for these last four chapters. In fact, for those of you that maybe are new to studying your Bible, let me give you one of the most basic Bible study tips that you'll ever get, but it's really important. That is, when you see the word therefore, you need to stop and figure out what it's there for. Right? That's the ditty. He's referencing stuff that he's already been talking about. The therefore here is really the summation of all that he's been talking about since chapter 7. So if you remember, chapter 6 was the last warning passage. Now he comes to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is that Jesus is a far superior high priest because he's a high priest not after the Levitical priesthood, but after the order of Melchizedek. Not only that, chapter 8, he's not only a far better high priest, but he's a far better high priest of a far better covenant. Not the old covenant, which was conditional based upon what we did, but it's the new covenant where God promises that our sins, our iniquities, he'll, he'll forgive and he'll write his law upon our heart. Chapter 9, not only is he a better high priest of a better covenant, but he serves in a better tabernacle. Not one here on earth, not one made with human hands, but literally the tabernacle in heaven where God himself sits. Not only is he the better high priest of the better covenant of the better tabernacle, but now he serves with better blood. Because it's not with the blood of bulls and and goats, but it's with his own blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, that he has gone and forever made atonement for us. And then if you were with us two weeks ago, as we got to chapter 10, really the culmination of this is that Jesus is just the unparalleled, far superior Savior that we have. 
And so that's what he's talking about. And, and how he summarizes it here is in two ideas. It's the word since. Therefore, brothers, so on the basis of all we've said in these last chapters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since... We have a great priest over the house of God. So his summation, he brings it down to two ideas. The idea of identity and the idea of relationship. I love today that we've sung these songs about our identity of Christ. That I am who you say I am. That we are broken vessels and yet we are those who have been fitted to, to know and have relationship with God. That's exactly what the Hebrew the writer of Hebrews is saying, we have relationship with God since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Christ. And again, the picture here that he's been continually going back to is that day of atonement where the high priest, only one man, could go one day a year on the day of atonement into the very presence of God. And yet Jesus, through his blood, has made it that you and I can go every day and every moment of the day. We have relationship with him. That is who we are. And his whole point is, this is the new way, right? The old way was the Mosaic covenant. The old way was restrictive. The old way kept us away. But the new way allows us to come with confidence into the presence of God. In fact, you think back to... Uh, Hebrews 4, verse 16, we, we have confidence to come boldly into the throne of grace. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. It is the new way. And it's not just new in that it's tied to the new covenant. I mean, you think about when he wrote this and the people of that day, it literally was new then, right? We're 2,000 years down the line. These people, it's been 35 years since Jesus died on the cross. It was literally new. And it's the new way. It's also the living way. Because when Jesus died to offer his blood, he didn't stay dead, right? He conquered death. He's alive. He's alive today. Remember what he said back in chapter 7. Therefore, he's able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives Jesus is alive. He is the living way, and he lives to make intercession for us. So it's based upon, therefore, based on our identity of who we are in Jesus, that we have access to God, and secondly, that we have this personal relationship with Jesus who is our great priest, right? He, he's that priest that doesn't, you know, get old and die, and so then maybe the next priest we don't know. No, this, this is the great high priest who exists forever after the order of Melchizedek, who knows me, who loves me, by, quite honestly, who died for us. So since, since we have confidence to enter the holy place with the blood of Christ, since we have a great high priest, now what he does is he gives us the so what's, the action plan. I, I mean, to be honest with you, uh, this is the easiest preaching that there is in the entire book of Hebrews. I've told you, trying to craft sermons in the way that the writer writes has not always been that easy. But this one, this is the three-point outline. It's really simple. Let us draw near, 
Let us hold fast and let us consider how to stimulate. Really easy. You put a poem with that, you got a sermon, right? There you go. It's, it's really simple. But these are the three action plans, and they are so incredibly important to us. This is what we are to do. In light of the fact that we have this great high priest, this is inaugurated the new covenant for us, who is entered into the heavenly places so that we have standing before God and that he loves us. This is how you and I are to act as followers of Jesus. These are the things that we are to be focused on. Number one, number one action is draw near in faith. That's verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This idea of drawing near. Maybe I could put it another way that might seem a little bit more familiar to you. Engage with God. Jesus has made the way. We're not in the old covenant where you couldn't get close to God, right? Where there are all these walls and these barriers. No, you and I have a way into the very presence of God of every moment and every day because of the blood of Christ. So let us draw near. What's interesting, the draw near is both in the imperative tense, which means it's a command, right? So it's both a privilege, but it's an obligation. It's what we're called to do. Why an obligation? Well, didn't God originally create man to have fellowship with us? We're created in the image of God to be his image bearers, to walk and to talk with him. Sin's what screwed all that up. Jesus now is taking care of the sin problem. So now what he desires is relationship with us. It, it's, that, it's that beautiful piece. But it's not just that it's imperative. It's in the present tense. So the idea is you, it's not like you draw near once, right? You come and you put your faith in Jesus and they're good. No, no, no. You continually draw near. It's this ongoing action where we engage with God. Now, the question is, how do you do that? Wow, I'm glad you asked. Because the author gives us four ways in which we do this. Number one, we do it with a sincere heart. A sincere heart. The word sincere is really kind of one of those interesting words in the Greek. It, it literally means without wax. Which kind of takes you back to the idea they would make pottery and if there were like little cracks or little imperfections, they would put wax and they would rub it really good and you, you had to be really skilled to kind of see it and realize, ah, there's a crack there. That's not clay, that's, that's wax. That's what it means, sincere. That you're not covering the imperfections. I think the idea of a drawing near to Jesus Drawing near to Jesus, drawing near to the Father with a sincere heart means that we don't cover up our sin. We don't, we don't try to put on this facade, but we actually come as we are in our brokenness. We come with a humble heart. We come with a repentant heart. We come understanding that we have been washed clean by the blood of Christ, but we stand there not on our merit, but in the merit of Christ. You think back right now in um, my Old Testament reading, I'm in the book of Isaiah. 
And one of the biggest issues that God had with the children of Israel was just simply, you know, you bring your sacrifices, but your heart's far from me. Right? Isn't that Jesus' problem with the Pharisees? You know, you're all clean on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Clean the inside. How we draw near to God is with a sincere heart. And for us, it's not to try to put on those really good airs, though God would maybe love me a little bit more, but it's to come in my brokenness, it's to come in my failures, it's to come humbly and in a spirit of repentance of seeking after the Lord in sincerity. And even in those moments when maybe my heart you know, and honesty is not even wanting to follow the Lord to come in that honesty and say, God, this is where my heart is. You know, my heart is prone to wander. We just sang that, didn't we? But I want to draw near to you. Sincere heart. The second thing he mentions is that we draw near through faith. Through faith. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. You see, Again, remember how the writer of Hebrews, you know, he, it's almost a circular motion. He gives us little hints of where he's going. By the way, you know where he's going in chapter 11? Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, right? So we're going to draw near. We got to draw near in faith. You know why? Because today, our life is a life of faith. Jesus has entered into the the tabernacle in heaven. He is sit down at the right hand of God. But we haven't seen that. We have not touched that. We walk by faith. One day it will be by sight. What a great day that's going to be, right? But today it's by faith. And so to please God today, to draw near to God today, we have to do it in faith. And you, again, you think of the context of the book. These people are facing persecution. You know, sometimes when you go through tough stuff, isn't there that feeling that maybe God is distant? Maybe that God doesn't love? Faith, faith says, no, I know that he loves me. Faith says, I know that he cares about me. Faith says, I know that he's promised he will never leave me, never forsake me. We draw near in faith. The third thing that he mentions here is that we... we have our conscience sprinkled clean, so having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Uh, the way I would express that is that we also draw near in truth, right? One of Satan's biggest things to keep us away from God is our guilt, correct? Or is that just me? You know, it's all that stuff, right? You, you say you love God, but what about this? What about that, you know? And, and, and to stand in the truth that I, my sins have been washed away. The new covenant, that my sins and my iniquities, he will remember no more. That I stand clean before my father. We stand and, and we draw near to God in truth that I am loved even though I'm not perfect. And, and even though I, I, I failed and, and sometimes still fail, but that God is a God who loves me. And so I come in this sincere heart knowing that he will accept me. We stand in that truth. But we also come in that sense of holiness because he says, and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, if you take those two things, I really think when you 
you look at the context, what he has in mind here is that high priest on that day of atonement. Because that high priest on that day of atonement, if you remember, would take the blood of the, of the bull first, sacrifice it, that he would take the blood into the mercy seat, and that blood was for his own sin and for the sin of his family. Then he would go back, sacrifice the goat, and take it in. That was for the sins of the people. What we've not talked a lot about were there some other things that he did on that day. On that day of atonement, before he would go into, in, into the Holy of Holies, he would, he would bathe. In fact, if you ever have the chance to go to Israel, one of the really cool pieces that they're uncovering there, right by the temple site, are all the ritual baths. Because there was an outward cleansing. And I think his picture is this. That as he came into the Holy of Holies, he was cleansing the inside. But the bath was the outside. It's that physical walk, right? And so when you think about how do we draw near to the Lord? Well, we have been cleansed on the inside, right? Our, our conscience has been, been cleaned through the blood of Christ. But we're not yet perfect. And so in the walk... We still want to walk in holiness. And in those moments when we have fallen, that, that we, we come back to the refreshment of the Spirit that washes and cleanses us from sin. Do you remember, do you remember the story of, of Jesus washing the disciples' feet? And here's Peter. Aren't you thankful for Peter? Man, you know, he makes us all look good. Because, you know, he's trying to be the most spiritual guy in the room. Jesus washing their feet, gets to Peter. Uh, you will never wash my feet, you know, because I know who you are and I'm better than the other guys. And Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And so now all of a sudden Peter's been rebuked. So now he tries to save face. Well, don't just wash my feet, but wash all of me. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You've already been washed. You've already been cleansed. You just have need for your feet to be cleaned. And of course, the picture was they would bathe, but as they walked through the day, the, 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 the dirt and dust from the roads would get on their feet. And the point was, you, you, you're clean, right? You've been washed clean. That's our standing before the Lord. Our sins have been forgiven. But as we walk in this life, we, we know that sometimes that stuff happens in our life and it breaks fellowship. And that's that daily cleansing that we need. I think that's exactly what John has in mind in 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can I remind you that John is not talking to unbelievers there. He's talking to you and I as Christians. Because even though we have been fully forgiven in our walk, there are those moments and those times where when we fail and, and it breaks fellowship. That's why he goes on in a couple of verses later in chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin, right? We're trying to become more and more like Christ. But when we do, we have an advocate, right? That daily cleansing. So how do we draw near to God? We draw near in a sincere heart, a humble heart. Not trying to put on airs, just coming as we are in a, in a humble, repentant heart before the Lord. We, we come... With in faith, standing on, on, the, on the truth of who we are in Jesus. And then that cleansing that comes from the Spirit as we walk with Him. It's number one. 
draw near. Number two is hold fast. That's verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is, is faithful. It's an interesting expression there. The, <coughs> the, the idea here is to live on mission, right? Maybe you've heard of that before. Don't Remember, the heart of this whole book is just simply they come to faith in Christ, but because of the persecution by both the Romans and the Jews, they're beginning to drift, they're beginning to shrink back, they're beginning, and he said, no, 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 you got to hold fast, you got to hold fast. He uses this expression before, back in Hebrews chapter 3. It, it's the second warning passage, and in verse 6, he said, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence. Almost the same wording here. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. In verse 14 of chapter 3. For we have become partakers or companions of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. It's the same idea. And if you were with us, we talked about he's not talking about salvation there. He's not talking about salvation in the terms of justification. What he's talking about is future salvation. He's talking about our inheritance, our reward. That which is our privilege to be able to get as the children of God. And his whole point is you've got to hold fast to that allegiance to Christ, that public allegiance of him. That's what we are, he's calling us to do. Don't shrink back. Yes, I know you're facing persecution. I know that things are tough, but don't pull back. Don't turn. Hold fast to that, that confession that you've publicly taken about who Jesus is and Jesus is in your life. So let me ask you a question. Where do we start with our public confession? Our confession of our hope. You know, he's not talking about He's not talking about salvation here. That's faith, right? That happens on the inside. He's talking about our confession. It's an outward. It's the public allegiance with Christ. Where does that start? Well, biblically, where that starts is with baptism. That is that public confession. It's the public allegiance. I've come to faith in Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. That happens in our heart. That happens by faith. And so by being baptized, I'm letting the world know. I'm letting the church know. I'm a follower of Christ. It's that great picture. We came. We died with Christ. We've been raised in a new newness of life. His point is you've been baptized. You have, you have taken this. Don't shrink back. Hold fast. If you go back under Judaism, you're still Stepping away from your allegiance to Jesus. It's an important piece. I couldn't help but think with baptism coming next week and know that, you know, I talk to people often who have come to faith in Christ. They're children of God. There's no question. They know that Jesus died for them. They put their faith in Jesus alone. They're saved. But guess what? They have never made the public declaration through baptism. You know why? Because they don't think they look good with their hair wet. 
Oh, everybody's staring. And I couldn't help but think this week, you know, I wonder what it's going to be like for some who, like that who one day will stand before Jesus and say, listen, you were called to hold fast to that confession of faith, but you never even did it. Yeah, but I don't look good with my hair wet. People would have been staring. I would have been embarrassed. And I kind of go, hmm, I don't know that that's going to play all that well. Hold fast. Live on mission. Let the world know that you live by your life and, and share with your lips your confession of Jesus. And by the way, part of that confession is not just that he died for me and paid for my sins and has risen from the dead, but part of that confession is the hope of what's coming, right? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's part of our confession of our faith. That this world is not our home. We look forward to living for that day. And, and I love the way he ends this. He says, for he who promised is faithful, right? So are we prone to wander? Yes. Are, do we sometimes waver? Yes. But he's not. So let's let him be our example. So even when it's hard and even when it's difficult, that we hold fast to the confession of our faith, our allegiance with Jesus. The third thing then is verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The third action is to stimulate others to love. And you may have picked this up. There remains three things, right? Faith, hope, and love. Draw near to God in faith. Hold fast to your hope. Stimulate to love. Right? There's incredible synergy here. And his whole point is, this is why we connect with others. And his point here is that we connect with others both strategically and tactically. Now, as we get into it, real quickly, because I'm running out of time, notice he says, but let us consider. That word consider is an important word. He, the point is, is this isn't to be passive in our life. It's not like this is just intuitive as a Christian. It's just normally going to happen. No, it's consider. Stop. Think about that. This is important. In fact, the other time that he used this word was back in chapter 3, verse 1. And he said, let us consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our faith. Right? We need to think about this. This is important. We are to encourage and to challenge one another, to stimulate them. To stimulate means to stir up. Literally, it means to incite, to provoke. Now, I'll be honest. I've grown up in the church. There are some people that are really good to incite and to provoke within the family of God. Not always to love and to good deeds, but, you know, they get this. I, I love the phrase stir up because in my mind, I think of the campfire. And you build the campfire and you get the fire really roaring, man, and it's good. But, you know, left underattended, what happens? The flame gets smaller and smaller. It's got to be poked. It's got to be prodded. It has to be turned over. Isn't that the natural bent of all of our lives, even as children of God, that 
left unattended, the fire, the passion that we have for Christ can begin to, to dwindle. And so our job as brothers and sisters in Christ is to provoke, to stimulate, to sometimes make people uncomfortable. Why? So that they grow in their love for Jesus. That we stimulate them. And, and some people might say, well, how do you know it's Jesus? How do you know it's not just love for one another? Well, the whole context of the book is you're drifting from Jesus. You, you're because of persecution, you're shrinking back from him. We need to stimulate one another that we would love Jesus more. So let me ask you, how are you doing that in your life today? How are you stimulating other brothers and sisters in Christ so that they are loving Jesus more? That's the tactical side of it. We're also to prod and to provoke that they live Jesus, right? The good deeds, living that life on mission. Two real quick points. One of them, I think, is way more countercultural to us today than it probably was to those that he wrote. And it's this don't miss it. Our gathering together is not about us, our gathering together is about other people. You see, in this culture that you and I live in, this consumerism of church, church is all about how does it hit us? Do we like this? Do we like that, right? Church hopping is a thing. It's really a thing kind of online because I like this preacher, I don't like that preacher, whatever, and you just, you just go. Listen, the church, the community is not about us, it's about you. So as I come today, what happens today isn't about me for me, it's gotta be you. And when you come, you need to come for not what, how it hits you, but, but, but about others. How are we stimulating one another to love and good deeds? The second thing, just to be honest, this kind of rules out online church. I love you, but it does. Now, is online good? You know, you're sick, absolutely. You, you're, you're traveling, right? I got an email this last week from one of our snowbirds, and when he's here, he's here worshiping, but he's, he also watches online back home, and now he's back home, and, and he's watching us. Great. But we have to be in the community. That's because church has never been about a 9.30 service on Sunday morning. It is about community. It is about stimulating one another. It is about provoking one another to love Jesus more, to keep our eyes on that day that is going to come. That happens in community. That happens in community. And notice how he ends this. It's, it's one of these reoccurring themes. I hope you've seen it all through the book of Hebrews. He just always comes back and points us to that future day, doesn't he? But encouraging one another and all the more as you see that day drawing near. What's that day? That day of inheritance. That day we stand before Jesus. That day when we get home. This world is not our home. Our encouragement and our challenge is always rooted in the fact this world is not our home. 
Don't get too caught up in what's going here, right? We're here to live Jesus. We're here to draw near, to hold fast, and to encourage one another. That's what we are called to do. That those, those are the marching orders for every believer. Because of who you are in Jesus, because you belong to the great priest. Draw near in faith. Engage with God. Hold fast your confession. Live your life on mission. Live and share Jesus. And three, connect with others. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds.